Podcast. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On this episode of Missing the Point, we're joined by Kaylee Allard contributor for fansided.com and Causeway Crowd, as we do a look back at the end of the 2020-2021 Boston Bruins season. We'll examine the Bruins' early exit, re-examine the Bruins' selection of now three first-round busts in the 2015 NHL Draft, and preview the offseason, and see if this core of Bruins, led by Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand, have one more go in them for the Stanley Cup. This is Missing the Point, episode 68, but it's all relative. Welcome to Missing the Point. I'm your host, Michael Marcangelo, joined alongside by the real BK, Bob Kelly. And today, we are performing an autopsy on the Boston Bruins season. And to do that, we have brought in a very, very special guest. She is a diehard Bruins fan and hockey fan in general, born in New England, but now living in the South. She's a Boston Bruins contributor for Fan Sided. Please welcome Kaylee Allard. How are you, Kaylee? I'm good. Yeah. I'm missing the team a little bit. I'm still kind of recovering from it, but besides that, I'm, I'm good, I guess. Yeah. It's, you know, the high that you got after the capital series, right? Like you just, I was thinking, I know Bobby was too, like this team could actually make a run and then they fall to the Islanders in six games and were utterly dominated in most of them. So as someone who is a diehard Bruins fan, someone who's, you know, written about the team, what happened? What do you think happened in that series? I really place most of my blame on the defense. Considering the, you know, the trade deadline pickups, we all know Taylor Hall was huge. Also, you know, Krejci finally got his winger. He has Craig Smith. The secondary scoring was looking good. Offense wasn't really a problem in the Capitals series at all. And, you know, everything was going well. You know, five games is, you know, they didn't even come close. And then once we got to the second round, the injuries between Carlo and Miller, which the Miller signing still makes no sense to me, but we can <laughs> save that for later, I guess. But Brandon Carlo and Kevin Miller were a huge hit and Charlie McAvoy can't do everything. Grizzly had a horrible game six and people will blame Tuca for it, but that was, well, he was injured. But yeah, it was just a defense overall. I think it's going to be crucial to get some big bodies at the blue line this off season. And I fully believe that if everyone was healthy, I, I don't want to say a hundred percent because no one's a hundred percent in the playoffs, but if everyone were healthy, I fully believe it could have at least gone to seven games and maybe even won the series. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more about the defense. I have to ask you, you brought up Kevin Miller already and he he's one to me that listen, he, 
I understand why they resigned him after they let Sedano go. You know, we needed that muscle on the defense. But for them to throw that kind of money at someone who already has that injury history and then it comes up in that playoffs is just like like I, I think you hit the nail on the head like that Kevin Miller signing, man. That that's brutal. And I couldn't agree more with the defense. I, I, I want to know if you saw this just like we did. Was it not the most frustrating thing in the entire world that the New York Islanders seem to have someone parked in front of our net every single possession? It, it, it was without fail. And, and you already brought up Tuca. Not only that, but then everyone's blaming Tuca for guys being two feet in front of his net shooting point blank shots. It's just like, was that not the most frustrating thing in the world to you? It was because the Bruins didn't do that. And I mean, Tuca, if Tuca can't see, he's not going to stop the puck. So it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory. And I don't know how you guys feel about getting rid of Chara either, but that's something Chara was known for. The guy's almost seven feet tall. So I feel like the Bruins were missing that a lot. He was still playing all those minutes in Washington and he would have been a great big body and a great mentor for the young defensemen. I understand they wanted to move forward with the young guys, but who better than your leader of 15 years to lead them there for at least one more season and make another run and be that big guy and be in front of the net. And, you know, even, yeah, I get it. He's old, but he's still got it. I mean, look at Yager. Chara still got it too. So. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, Chara has a lot of deficiencies now. He's not fast, fine. But you know what he wouldn't allow to happen? He wouldn't allow Matt Barzell or anyone else to stand point blank in front of Tuca and just fire shots away at him. And, I mean, was there no one else on the team, in your, in, in your opinion, Kaylee, that could have stopped that? Like, would, would a Frederick have helped? And if so, like, why didn't they play him? See, I know a lot of people were calling for Frederick, but the guy has never played in a playoff game and everyone loved him in the regular season, including me, you know, like Frederick Fight Club, like I'm in your kitchen. Like, that's great. Like, that's what the Bruins need. They're known for being the big, bad Bruins. But I don't know if such a young guy would be able to keep up or bring that fire out in the playoffs because it is such a different animal and hockey is such the NHL playoffs, I may be biased, but it's just a different animal from any other sport, yes. let alone the NHL regular season. So I don't know if Bruce didn't want to take that risk. I mean, he who knows how uh, Frederick's nerves are? Who knows if there's something behind the scenes? We didn't know that he maybe just didn't feel comfortable with Frederick, but I don't think Frederick would have been the difference maker. Just like I also don't think Swayman would have been a difference maker because to me, the goaltender situation was a lose-lose. So I feel like what Cassidy did with the Lions was fine, sitting DeBrusque, bringing Kuhlman in, kind of switching everyone up a little bit. But I don't think Frederick would have been like the key piece to, you know, that physicality. So based on what you saw, right? Like, so, because it, w- it really was a tale of two different a series and it looked like two different teams. Was this team built for a deep, a, a deep uh, cup run or did the perfection line just cover up a lot of the inadequacies that are actually on the Bruins? 
I think the perfection line, even though that's the worst nickname ever, thanks to NBC, I I think the first line really did carry it throughout the whole season until the trade deadline. I felt very optimistic when the second line was completed with Hall, Krejci, Smith, but you also can't rely on just two lines, just like you can't rely on one line. I always refer to the 2011 team because that was the perfect team. You know, you have four rolling lines. The Merlot line was one of the best fourth lines the Bruins have ever had. And and you need that. And the bottom six also was a problem in the second round, the bottom six scoring. So I, I truly think if the Bruins beat the Islanders, I could not have seen them beating Tampa because they are just insane. So I try to like console myself with that. I'm like, (laughs) do I want to get heartbroken now or do I want to get heartbroken later? So I think they still have a lot of things to work out. And I don't think this would have been the year, honestly. So does this mean that, uh, that you're rooting for the Islanders? Cause wouldn't like, isn't it, isn't it better to be beat by the champions, right? Like, aren't you rooting for the Islanders to win the cup now? I am rooting for them. I have Vegas winning the cup. I think they're going to win the cup, but I'm rooting for the Islanders to be Tampa. Cause I hate Tampa even more. And then I'm rooting for the Islanders to lose in the final. So in this series, I'm rooting for the Islanders. <laughs> yeah, I listen, I have to say I underestimated the Islanders. I don't know about you two, but coming into the series, I did not know that they were as tough and would beat the shit out of us like they did. Because that's what they did from top to bottom. Every single game by the end of that game, you knew they were that the Bruins were getting their ass whooped. And I really have to say, I was also more impressed that they came out and actually beat the Lightning in game one. And they played that same exact game. It's crazy how good they are. Now, I have to ask, though, going back to your comment on the bottom six, I don't know if you knew this, but so well, this is the scoring breakdown for that Islanders series. Ready? Pasta and Marshawn each had five goals apiece. Krejci had two. McAvoy, Bergey, Smith, Coyle, and Hall each had one, and not one other person scored on the Bruins. So literally that is more than 50% of your scoring from two different players, from only two players out of your entire roster. So like you said, it is do you so my question based off that is do you think that this was something like we didn't have the pieces? Or we just didn't play as well as we should have. I think they just didn't play as well because also Nick Ritchie was on fire all season. And where was he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. Well, the seventh player went missing when we needed him most. So at like that third line too, I think it was mostly Ritchie, Corrali, and Wagner. I mean, invisible and then debrusque invisible was scratched a game so i think it's just they didn't do what they were supposed to do i feel like overall the roster is pretty solid a few tweaks with the defense and if the offense shows up and tuka's not hurt we could have a serious team here and i think next year is more important than ever and i feel like we've been saying every year but the core is old and next year, especially with the Tuca contract and everything going on and Krejci's contract, like next year has to be it, in my opinion. Like, period. That's it. How, how worried are you about about a potential drop-off for Bergeron, right? Because he's been the best player on our team for so long. And like you just mentioned, he's getting older. I remember the commercials of him riding over the, the Zagan Bridge in a Zamboni with Ray Croft. That's how old he is, right? So... 
what happens to this team? So it's a two two part question. How concerned are you about a drop off in play, and what happens to the team if he's not the Bergie that we know? I mean, I am very worried, but I'm I don't I don't see his game declining at all. I don't know if you saw like the NHL player vote. Him and Sidney Crosby tied for the NHL's most complete player for like right now like current player which is pretty awesome and I mean Barry Trotz is accusing you of cheating on face-offs because you're just so good at them and I just I don't know I I don't see any worry with him getting older same Achara he's still old but he's still got it I I mean the guy needs to retire Bruin he's the captain now he needs to go until the end and I think it was him that said he I think he said he's going to take it year by year which means that hopefully he's got a few more and he's yeah. feeling good. So I'm really not too worried about him at all. It is a scary time though. When you get to the, we're going to take it year by year phase of the career though. Right. Like that's, that's how, you know, it's all, oh, we are way closer to the end than we are at the beginning. Yeah. He's like, all right, how am I going to feel next year? We'll right. have to see. The disrespect, by the way, on that Barry Trotz calling Bergeron out for cheating on the faceoffs. And then the next game, I don't know if you knew, the refs threw him out of the faceoff the first four faceoffs he took. I, I know Cassidy was livid about that, but it's just the disrespect this guy got from that is just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it when that happened. Yeah, and it's funny how uh, Trotz is complaining about the calls now. I don't know if you saw last game mm-hmm. against the Lightning. He was losing it on the bench, and everyone was, like, posting memes of, like, Bruce Cassidy smiling, and they were like, I told you so. Like, it's funny how it's a big deal when they don't get the calls, but yeah. you know, the New York Saints. I love that. I do love that. It, it, it was. It, it's funny because I, I think Cassidy is probably the most outspoken coach in Boston, right? Like you don't, you don't get that from Belichick. You get nothing, less than nothing. Brad Stevens was always a pro player, he, but he's not going to say anything about the league. But Cassidy did not pull any punches there. He knew he was going to get fined, so he went down with it. But do you think that the the Islanders used any of that? For, for fuel in their next game because as you mentioned like after that after the Bruins take a 2-1 series lead they don't win another game and it was in the midst of you know Bergie getting thrown out of out of faceoffs and Cassidy feeling that they were disrespected but was that do you think that was almost like a rallying cry for him he was trying to motivate the team and it, and it just didn't work I think so because once Trotz made those comments about Bergeron, I think it kind of lit a fire under everyone because he's using the refs to his advantage and complaining about it. And the refs definitely heard it. And NHL refs are just something else and so important. <laughs> and for every team, I'm not just complaining as a Bruins fan. I mean, everyone has dealt with their brutal calls. And I feel like the Islanders do just get so lucky, whether it's puck luck or the calls are their way or just, I mean, they're a talented team, but they also have that luck there, I feel like. And they're so frustrating to play against. And it's it's just frustrating how Cassidy got fined for it. I mean, it was worth the $25,000. I would have started to fund me for him. But but yeah, I think, yeah, I think the mind games did play a part too. So that's also frustrating and i don't know if you guys notice this too the islanders that's their game that's what they do is they frustrate you to death and they did it to the penguins that first series the penguins were leading the playoffs in shots on net exiting the first round of the playoffs 
and the Bruins led this led the second round in shots on net. It's just unbelievable how frustrating that team was to play against. Yeah, a little bit of a backstory here is that while the Bruins were up 2-1, to one, I said if the Bruins lose this series, it will be because of Matt Barzell. And don't forget that you had three, not two, not one, three chances to draft him. You had the 13th, 14th, and 15th overall pick in that draft, and he was selected 16. So, one, how good was Barzell? Two, how awful was that draft? I mean, it came back to bite us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I know that like people want to blame Sweeney for it, but I feel like it's also so hard to tell what a player is going to become. I mean, I guess like he definitely should have done a better job, <laughs> but but just the names, what is it, Zaboral? We say those Zaboral, Debrusque, and Zenishin. Yeah, <laughs> over Barzal, like that is. Yeah. Yeah, passing on him several times is frustrating. It wasn't like, like you said, not just once, but several times. But yeah, I mean, definitely super embarrassing. I'm never going to live it down. DeBrusco is a scratch. He might not even be staying. A lot of people do want him gone because he's just not reliable enough. I mean, I love the kid. He's had some great moments. Like I really thought he could be something in Boston, but he just hasn't proved himself and he's given been given so many chances. But yeah, it's quite painful to see uh Barzell absolutely tearing it up and I'm just trying to picture him like on the first or second line and just how <sighs> dangerous the Bruins are. man can you imagine it's just like you know not once fine everyone misses on one draft pick it's, I mean, that's fine you had him three times and you and you just could not do it so I feel like I feel like we're kind of vibing, right? Like we're we're friends, and I think that uh, that could all come to an end after this. I was the leader of the Tuca Hate Club, the leader for yeah for a very long time. I'm sorry, I, I I know, but he changed my mind a lot in the Washington series, and even more so in in the Islander series. I, I think. The reason, just for clarification purposes, the reason why I was in the, the, the Tuca Hate Club is because he's just so damn talented. He is really such a good goalie. And it felt like when you need when you needed him the most, last year excluded, that he was just never there, right? But with him playing hurt this year and with him not wanting to, to be pulled, do you think that he will change the mind of, of fans like me in, in this town because of the guts that he showed? Or is he just relegated to the, yeah, you're good, but you'll never beat him? Oh, Tuga will never get the credit unless he gets the Stanley Cup as the starter. I've spoken to many Tuca haters because they're always in my Twitter and I have to see what they say about it, unfortunately. Yep. Um, at this point, I just don't respond to them. It's not even worth my time. But I think. Bruins fans and Boston fans in general are so spoiled. Like I always use this goaltender's name. Look at Tristan Jari on the Penguins. That man cannot stop a beach ball. Like I'm, I'm not even like no joke. When I was watching him play against the Islanders, I was like, this is their starter in the playoffs. Like this guy would maybe be decent in the AHL. It's that bad. Like, but no, because people complain when Tuka. So they want him to show heart, but he showed heart by playing through an injury, but now he's stupid for doing that. So it's a lose-lose for Tuca. Like, oh, he's a quitter, 
But if he sat out, they'd say, oh, he has an injury. He's faking and giving up on his team. But because he played, he's hurting the team by playing with an injury. So the guy cannot win. So, I mean, if you look up the symptoms for a torn hip labrum. Bad. And you're a goaltender playing in a playoff game, sliding left to right, practically doing splits, sticking out your legs. People are like limping when they have torn hip labrums. It hurts to walk. And this man said, no, I'm suiting up for my team because I feel like I should. And he he told, apparently he told Coach Cassidy he was healthy. Like he was like, no, I'm good. And Bruce was like, he told us he was healthy. So this guy wanted to play, but that's still not good enough. And it never will be. Yeah. So I... I echo those spoiled Boston sports fans times a million. So a little fun fact about me. I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm a Cowboys fan, unfortunately. It's one of my biggest flaws in life. I know. You guys don't know my other teams, but I can tell you later. Not all Boston. That's what it comes down to, though, is like we have a different perspective of this. That like, So when teams make it to a championship – I never see that as like a disappointment and I never will. If you are good enough to play for a championship trophy, that is a successful season. You have done your job. You were in it to win it to the end. It's unbelievable that no one gives credit to Tuca for leading us to that Stanley cup in 2013, leading us to another Stanley cup in 2019. Yes, we didn't win it, but you know what the hardest trophy to win in sports is Ward Stanley cup. And this dude has brought us within one game of doing that twice. And I've been echoing this since day one with Tuca. It's like exactly what you said about the Penguins goal. You got people don't know how good we really have it. Having this guy in net for as long as we've had him in net. Like you think back to all these goalies like Jean-Sebastien Giguere. Amazing with Anaheim. What was his shelf life? Three to four years? Like only the greats are around for this long. And just because he didn't get the cup to me doesn't make him not a great. Granted, yes, could he have shown heart in those game sevens? Could he have played better in those game sevens? 100%. But listen, the guy got us there. What what else it comes down to is like, listen, in that game seven against St. Louis, do you remember that first quarter? Jordan Bennington stand, stood on his goddamn head. Yep. We had so many opportunities. And do you know what I remember about the Bruins? It's never about Tuka Rask. It's about missed opportunities, missed open nets, which that reminds me of something else. That missed, <laughs> oh, the worst missed open net I've ever seen in my goddamn life with Pastor awesome. now. No, un- unbelievable. But that's always what I remember. And... and I'm interested to know, like, so you're not a Patriots, so you're not a Patriots fan. Okay, cool. So I'm interested to know, like, when you look back on those seasons, those 2013, 2019 Stanley Cup runs, do you look at those as disappointments, or do you look at those as like, listen, that was amazing, we got all the way there. Yeah, we didn't win it, but what else can you ask for? Yeah, uh, I couldn't have said it any better, honestly. I'm sure Uh, you could have. (laughs) (laughs) Like 2013 against the Blackhawks, everyone brings up the 17 seconds, like that heartbreaker. Like, but if you, I actually have recently rewatched those two goals. And I think it actually was Andrew Ferentz and Chara defending. They were nowhere near the net. 
They were often no man's land. They weren't like Tuca was left out to dry. Like the Blackhawks were hammering him. Like it was two greasy goals too. Like it was horrible goals that never should have happened. They should have never been that close to the net at that corner sliding that puck in. I think it was Bickle and I forget who else scored it, but that's all on Rask, but uh, the guy is one it? man. Like he's one man. And I I honestly see the two cup finals with him as a success because also in game seven against the Blues, the Bruins scored one freaking goal. And it was Matt Grizzlick in the third period with like a few minutes left and the Blues were already up four. Like nobody showed up. No yeah. Bergeron, no no anyone no one was there (laughs) so you don't win by not scoring in game seven of the Stanley Cup final like the Bruins beat Vancouver in a shutout for nothing that's how you win like I mean Tuca like you said Tuca isn't perfect I'm not saying he doesn't let in soft goals or have bad days but no player is perfect but somehow Tuca gets all the blame like when they win oh Tuca but when they lose oh it's Tuca's fault so it's definitely a success even getting that far with him yeah I, I think the 2013 you just you just came up against a wagon right the, the Blackhawks were at the height of their powers and that they just they were just so good that I'll, for, for that run I'll always remember it was a, it was the Toronto series right you're down three goals and Bergeron scores in, in overtime. Jack, was it? Uh, it was one of the play-by-play guys that you just hear Bergeron, Bergeron, like that. that, that team that's had one a- of my. Listen, I, I don't mean to interrupt. That's one of my favorite sports memories. Like literally since beginning of sports, I I still go back sometimes if I'm having a bad rough day. I will go back and watch that third period of that game just because of how amazing it really was. Like that team had heart, and I I would always say, and, and Bobby will can attest to this. I don't hold twenty thirteen against him. Like that, the, you he played so well. I don't remember the stats. I think he was like fourteen and eight with a. It was 1. wasn't it a, nine? I think it was. It was. It like, was, it was it like was fourteen crazy. and eight with a sub two uh, goals against average. Which, by the way, like those stats are comparable to Tim Thomas in twenty eleven. They might even be a little bit better. The game seven in 2019, the team didn't show up. They let they, they hung them out to dry, but that's a game where you know four four one feels too much. Like maybe like I would I think my outlook on him, and again I'm just speaking for me, my my outlook on him would have been different if that game ended like two one, right? Even if they're up two nothing, you just show that you're gonna they're gonna fight your ass off. So I think this year he showed guts and. Do you think he had to? Like, do you think he knew uh, all the things that we were saying? Not us, but maybe even play, uh, people in the locker room after after the whole bubble experience last year. I, for someone who writes about the team, it is is, is a, a far bigger puckhead than I am. Do you think that was on his mind all year that I have to be here? I truly don't think Tuka cares what people think. He cares about his team, yep. but he doesn't read Twitter. He's not reading articles. He's not listening to Boston sports radio, especially, but I, every year, like in the post post loss zoom at the end of the season, just this year, they asked all the players about Tuca. They're like, you know, do you think it's fair? The criticism he gets. And they're like, no, like the guy fights his butt off every single game for us. We would be nowhere without him. I mean, obviously they're not going to trash his, their goalie, but 
everyone knows, like I know that Tuca knows too. He doesn't know the extent or the specifics, but he knows that he's heavily criticized. And I think he feeds off it, but I don't think it's always on his mind. Like, Oh, I need to please the fans. Like, I don't think he cares. He just wants to do his best because he's also very passionate and he's known to be an angry goalie. And that's another reason I hate when people say he has no passion because I'm sure you've seen the infamous video of him throwing milk crates back in the AHL when he lost a game. And one of my favorite pictures is when I think it was the lightning scored when Tuka lost his uh, stick blade and he took it off the ice and was shoving it in the ref's face. Like, look, I lost my blade. Like he's just like angry and fiery and passionate and that to me shows that he does care like people are like oh like he's emotional this and that like I think it's awesome and I think he wants to do everything he can because the guy if he didn't care he wouldn't have played hurt so that's a really big deal and not only play hurt that's the thing I think gets lost in this shuffle too is like yeah listen he may not have maybe game was it game five we was in five or six six maybe game six he he Swayman could have played and he would have been more effective. But for Tuka to be out there in that capital series in those first five games with a torn labrum and to perform on that level, like this dude wasn't just performing like as a good goalie. He was magnificent. Like there were points where like you would get through a five minute stretch of hockey and you would get to the ends of the five minutes and you'd be like Holy shit, Tuca. Like, what even just happened? How did they not score a goal? That's where, like, any reservations, right? Listen, I was with you, Mike, last year in the bubble. Tuca hated that. Everything about it. It was the worst. Like, the way way it happened is unforgivable to me. Like, you know about me. I'm all about passion when it comes to hockey. I'm all about passion when it comes to literally everything. But... For him to show up like that with that injury, I don't know about you, Kaylee, but like that, to see him perform not only at a top level, but at a premier level with that injury, just to me, like, I don't think there's any, I I think you have to bring Tuka back. And I know I've said before, Mike, to you, like, we need Swayman, Swayman should be in here. But like, the more I think about it is like, what else are you going to do? Like, you're really going to let this dude walk after what he just did for you. And after seeing another Boston team, let someone else go with a bad hip and how much that cursed them down the future. After everything he gave you, you can't let him walk. Yeah. I just correlated the Celtics in there. You like that? Yeah. yeah, No, no, no. We're aware. Uh, (laughs) Do you think, is it fair to say though, a couple things, where do you stand on what happened last year, Kaylee? So, my stance, and then I'll kick it over to you. He he left for a family emergency. I get it. I'll never judge that ever. Never once. You shouldn't have a tea time the next day. You can't do that. So were the criticisms fair from us? And, and, and I guess, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know if the whole golfing thing is even 100% proven or if it was just a rumor. Like, do we 100% have any photo evidence that it was too Garask? Was it just like a rumor by the Boston media? Like, did someone definitely say that was too Garask? Like, I truly don't know. Yeah. 
I'll so I, I can't confirm it, but I think the speculation was is that he had a tea time. At, I, I believe it was like at 1130 tea time. Somebody saw it. He was made aware that the press knew that he was there and he stayed in the clubhouse until they left and was late for his tea time. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I obviously, like you said, family emergency, like totally get it. Super crazy. Like I guess his daughter was in the hospital is the story. We don't know with yep. what, but he like ran out of there. But I think it is pretty messed up to be golfing like the next day. Maybe would maybe I would understand like a few days later once yeah. you got home, saw your family, made sure everything was okay. But if it definitely was like that very next day, that is very suspicious. And I guess people were also kind of upset because Tuca had made comments saying that it's like feels weird to be there and he's not like it's not like a real season where he's that into it or something like that I think those comments were blown out of proportion though because pretty much every player said that about the bubble they're like well it's weird it's tough to be away from family it's the hardest thing we've ever done of course when Tuca says it it's blown out of proportion but that's because he did leave but I mean it's so hard to say like I truly wish there was a video or photo of Tuka there because I would say, yes, that's messed up. But I mean, yeah, I I, I also don't know if last year would have been the year because, again, Tampa was pretty much unstoppable. So I try not to harp on that too much. But it did suck having him go. And I don't think Halak put on too great of a performance um, no. he took over either. Yeah, I think so. You, I, I can't judge him <clears throat> for why he left. I can judge him for how he acted while he was there <clears throat> and then what he did when he returned. And those press conferences when he said, I'm, you know, I'm just happy. Like, I'm just here to have fun. It's hockey in July or August. And, you know, just playing with my friends. It doesn't even feel like it it, like it, it counts. You, you, you can't say that, right, and make $8 million a year. Like you can't, the, you could be a fourth liner or, or like a the tenth defenseman on the team, but as the leader, it does look bad. So, again, I was the leader of the anti Tuga fan, but I, I think I'm reforming because because you, I don't think you can see, you can't watch what he did this year and think that that man doesn't care because he had no reason to stay out there. In reality, it would have better suited him to pack it in and to just have the surgery and be ready for the start of the season. Now they're saying that he might not be back until February of next year. So do you think that he comes back or uh, for the Bruins? Like, do they move him? And if so, like how good could, can he be? Yeah, I think this, I mean, it really does suck that he's hurt. He's my favorite player and I want him to finish out and have a great year, but I think there's no perfect, more perfect opportunity for Swayman to show what he's got. Cause everyone's calling for Swayman, Swayman, especially the Tuka haters. So it is kind of nerve wracking knowing they're going to be going without him and people are speculating, Oh, are they going to sign veteran goalie for just for now to replace Tuka? But with this injury and being at the end of his career and his contract, it is pretty concerning, especially you're coming January, February. Once you get to February and like, I don't know the whole all-star game this year, but like after the all-star break and all that, like end January, beginning February, that's when it's like crunch time. Like we got playoffs in a couple months. These games really matter. So it's going to be interesting to see if Swayman can, I'm assuming it'll be Swayman, get them into that position. But I still think it's the perfect opportunity to ease Swayman in. And then hopefully when Tuka's back, he can pick up any slack or play a lot for the remainder of the regular season. So it's concerning, but I also think it's a good opportunity to see what Swayman has and if he can really take the starter position. 
What do you think of swimming? So, uh, because I asked that because yeah, I think your your Twitter handle is two K A Rask, right? So like you're you love Tuca, and you can yeah you can find Kaylee at two K Rask on, on Twitter. But I guess my my question would be: Do you think that Boston Bruins fans overrated Swayman because they just don't they don't like Tuca, or is he someone that could be his replacement moving forward? I absolutely love Swayman. I think he's awesome. Okay. I, I think the Bruins organization is very lucky. They've been very, the Bruins have been very lucky with goaltending throughout very recent history. Yeah. You know, it's never all oh, that like Tim Thomas, like, and I love Tim Thomas too. Like I had his Jersey, like, I guess I'm just a big goalie person, but I mean, the 2011 performance was one of the best ones I've ever seen, but yeah, I mean, I think Swayman is the future. I think he plays like Tim Thomas. And I think that's why the Tuca haters love him. Cause he has kind of that sporadic style and like, he's like an acrobat kind of, and it's kind of crazy, but he gets it done. And I actually listened to, he did a podcast with a Billy Jaffe. It's called, and uh, Andrew Raycroft. They have their own podcast. I think it's called the morning brew or something. And Swayman went on there and he is just the nicest, coolest kid. Like he literally said, like, I don't get nervous. Like, he's like, I just have like a great time. And what I really like is how he said what's most important for him now that he made it to the NHL is recognizing fans and like giving a kid a puck or like waving to someone like he is just like so for the people. And I think he's going to be such a great Boston athlete. Like just listening to him, I was like, I love this kid, but I really think he's the future. And when we started him this year, I didn't even feel nervous and he's brand new. Like this guy just got called up and I don't know about you guys, but when I saw him in net, I was like, oh, we're good. Like he does not make me feel nervous or concerned at all. Yeah, it's a completely different feeling. So I'll never forget last year, my buddy texted me when Vladar came in in the playoffs. <laughs> he texted me and went, it's Vladar time. And I was like, <laughs> all right, let's see how it goes. Three minutes later, I was like, and you're right, Swayman does just have a different feel to him. Um, I couldn't agree more, though. Listen, I'm going to parlay this into another question in a little bit. But I think Don Sweeney is the luckiest GM in the entire world. With the luck he got with goaltenders, man. To have Tim Thomas like he did, I know that wasn't Sweeney then. But then to, to parlay that right into Tuka Rask with the absolute steal of a trade that you got from Toronto. And, and to have this guy in net for all this time. It, I just think, like, I, I don't dislike Sweeney a lot. <laughs> I do not like Sweeney as our GM. But I, I just feel like you're right when it, when the you say the Bruins have gotten such luck when it comes to goaltending and the fact that they now found this kid Swayman who has such swag, man. You're right. Like when I heard that interview that said like, I don't get nervous. I don't feel that. That is the energy that you want from a goalie. Like if if you think back, I'm going to probably lay, lay this in the Patriots for all you Patriots fans out there. Oh when you think back about Tom Brady, about what was so special about him, when he fell asleep in that 2001 Super Bowl locker room because he was so relaxed, didn't realize the moment he was in and he took a nap. Like, I feel like that's something that just seeing the personality of Jeremy Swayman, that's something that would happen with him. Like game seven, Stanley Cup, he'd be like, yeah, I mean, I took a nap before. I don't know. I was feeling really <laughs> relaxed. And you're like, yeah, that's the kind of guy you want as your goalie. So like, I love the Swayman train. I think Tuca being there is is such a sport I'm looking for. 
is such a, 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 a yeah a positive like it is very positive for swimming for him to be there because it's like you know i've already been in these situations here's how you handle them and then you take that swimming swag and put it on top of that it's just like yeah i'm ready i'm ready for swimming what's your question bobby oh right so no no no, no the question <laughs> no but like all right so my question is as lucky as sweeney has got all right I, I have been on this guy. Was it we we can talk about that two thousand was a seventeen draft where he passed over Barzal. Fifteen. Fifteen, whatever it was. Two thousand fifteen draft will pass over Barzal. But the moves that he has made in the last two years just drive me absolutely insane. Like, listen, you can talk about the Taylor Hall trade. I don't give him any credit for that because if anyone was ever like, hey, I'll give you Taylor Hall for you know that scrub and a second round pick, <laughs> I'd be like, Yeah, well, I think I'll take that deal. I I just feel like the way that he has handled this team, the fact that we had to wait seven years for a a premium winger to be beside David Krejci, that we had to replace the Dano Chara with Kevin goddamn Miller, who who already was an underachiever before you re-signed him. And then you look at the lack of depth he put behind this defense this year. It is just like as soon as one guy went down, you saw what happened in that Islander series. So I, I need to know your opinion as someone who's around the team a lot, who, who you follow Bruins hockey passionately. I, am I off base here? Is this me just overanalyzing the team or is this serious mistakes that this dude has made over the past few years? No, I think you're totally on base. I mean, I think it could be way worse. Like, it's not like he's driving the team into the ground, but I feel like he just does the bare minimum I feel like he tries to find the most obscure random player and like puts a lot of faith in them. And then he's like, this is going to definitely work. (laughs) Like, I feel like he just like closes his eyes and like throws a dart at a dartboard and whoever it lands on, he's like, all right, we're going to try to acquire this guy. But like, other than the Taylor Hall thing, which I agree with you, it's, it's, it wasn't all Sweeney. Like, Taylor Hall would have done anything to get out of Buffalo (laughs) and Buffalo. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like Taylor Hall, you could have given him him five bucks and you'd be like, all right, I'm gone. So I don't really get like everyone was like, Sweeney's a God, Sweeney's a God. But other than the Taylor Hall acquisition, I can't even name like any significant pickups that I was happy with. I mean, I think the Craig Smith pickup turned out to be really good. At first, I was really uh, skeptical with that offseason pickup because I was like, Craig Smith, like I've really never even heard of this guy. And he got Craig Smith and Jared Tenorti from Nashville. And I think Tenorti's like fine. He's a physical guy, but he wasn't good enough to be in the top D or make a difference at all. But yeah, I think you're on base as Sweeney. Again, I don't think, I think it could be worse. I don't think he's the worst ever, but I don't think he's good enough to where he's making uh, significant moves to help the team get a cup. And he, he, they spoke about that him and Cam Neely kind of came clean and they admitted they messed up in the 2015 draft. And they also said, we need to make better moves. So they know it too. So it's just like Shirelli, when Shirelli left, right? I, I think he left with such a bad taste. He put such a bad taste in, in, in Boston Bruins fans' mouths, right? It, it, and, and in reality, after he left, he'd been to two cups in, in five years. Sweeney's not as good as Shirelli. Yeah, I think so. 
I don't, Kaylee, I don't mean to take it. <laughs> no, 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 that, 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 that was obviously to you, Bobby, for sure. But like, so listen, I think we were really hard on Shirelli when it happened. The, the Sagan trade, that happened for a reason. Like, listen, I love Tower Sagan. I love watching him play hockey. He is an amazing hockey player. The tr- I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Like but you can't sleep supposedly, with Horton. he yeah. banged Nathan Horton's wife. You so can't like, do all know this rumor. You, you can't bang the Oaken Bruin for our 2011 Stanley Cup player's life. And like, I get that. That's what everyone always rags on him on is that Sagan trade. Shirelli made some moves, man. And, and, and honestly, I think if Shirelli was still the GM, yeah, what he did is he went for broke. He always went for broke. He he was gonna he was gonna go get you that guy no matter what. And if you wanted if Neely wanted him to go get him, he was going to get him. And I feel like that's the opposite of Sweeney. Is like the only reason we got Taylor Hall is because we got Wazar and a second round pick along with it. If it was just Bjork for Hall and, and like maybe a first round pick for Bjork, like I feel like he would have been like, no. I'm good. That's not, that's too much risk for me to take. And that's where I feel like I just fall with Shirelli. Also the fact that Zenshin, I'm just for the rest of my life, that name is going to be ingrained (laughs) in my head. Like, listen, I get Zaboral. I get the brusque. They have potential, but like, I've never even heard of this guy, Zachary Zenshin And, and Matt Barzal is literally ending my playoff life. And I just can't, I can't deal with him anymore. It's not going to happen. He's not going anywhere. And I know he's not going anywhere because like, you know, all the interviews and everything like that. But like, man, I just, if I've ever wanted a GM out in Boston Bruins history, I want Sweeney out of here. I just want someone else who's going to look at this differently. Look at this perfection line and be like, we need to make moves to win this cup because it's going to be so depressing in 10 years when we look back on this and we see this top line that we had. And, and it's looked back in historical history is like the best first line in 20 years in Boston Bruins history. And we, we had them together for literally over a decade and won one fucking Stanley Cup. It's just like, I know this sounds spoiled. It sounds very Boston-ish of me. But like, God damn it, man. Like, Sweeney, come on. Let's go for broke. Let's try, man. Let's do something. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Like you said, it's been a decade and that's not good enough with the amount of talent this team has had. And with, you know, Bergeron and Marchand, I hate to say deserve because everyone's like, nobody just deserves it. You got to earn it. But Bergeron and Marchand really need one more. And I would cry forever if Tuca got his as well. And Krejci, of course, too. I mean, these guys, I mean even Marshan said, he's like, like, we're getting old, like ticking. And you think Sweeney, like you said, like an alarm would go off, like, holy crap. Like I have to complete the missing puzzle and get these missing pieces in here so we can really have a chance. Like, it doesn't seem like he cares enough. He's like, Oh, we'll give this guy a try. We'll give this guy a try. Like, that's not good enough. You cannot half ass things as a GM. So, as we've now kind of stumbled upon the 10-year anniversary of, of the 2011 Cup, right? How crazy is it for you to believe, A, that that was 10 years ago, that we haven't won a Cup since, but B, that we have now had the number one overall pick and the number two overall pick of that draft <laughs> on the Bruins uh, in the last 10 years? How crazy is that? 
Yeah, no, it is crazy. I so the number one was what again? Taylor Hall. Yeah, oh, Hall, yes, Hall was one. yes, true. Number two is Howard Sagan. Yes. Um, sorry, I missed your question, but yes, because I remember it was either Taylor or Tyler. It was like the battle of Taylor and Tyler. Like, who would they get? And obviously, Sagan was chosen, but. At the end of all this, you know, people are upset about the Sagan trade, but we know there was a very good reason for it. But we may have never gotten Hall. And now Hall may be part of the team that leads us to the cup. So you just never know. I I think it might work out in our favor. This offseason really is so important. But it is crazy to come like full circle to that like Taylor, Tyler thing. It's interesting to see. I guess my question would be, because I'm really, really, really excited for Taylor Hall and this team. But the last time I was really excited, they didn't keep him, and it was Sagan. Do you think that they keep Taylor Hall? Like, How much do they have to bend to make sure that they make him happy and they sign him to a long-term deal? Well, Hall said that it, he's not looking for the money, which I think is 100% the truth because he's having the time of his life. He said the guy hasn't stopped smiling since he's been in Boston, and him and Craig Smith and Craig G are such a great trio, and He said he's never had this much fun playing with line mates before. And he's like, you know, this is where I want to be. I'm playing winning hockey. He's and he said he's been in the league for it's over 10 years now and he's finally winning. So I think Hall will 100 percent take a team friendly deal and it's not going to cost much. And if Sweeney lets him walk. then he truly deserves the boot because you cannot let this guy go. Like I, I cannot like, and especially if Krejci goes after he finally has his wingers with Smith and Hall, like that second line has to stay intact no matter what, like they have to come up with something with the cap. And I think Taylor Hall hundred percent will take a lesser deal in order to stay and keep everyone happy. I, I hope that you're right because I'm usually like the, the glasses half empty type of guy on, on this show when it comes to anything Boston sports related, which brings me to one of my uh, one of my last questions. So you mentioned that you're not a full Boston sports fan, that you are a Bruins fan. Now, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what teams you support, but I'd like to guess beforehand if that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, just want, I, just, I just hope that our friendship's not on the line here because we put a lot of work into it. But for <laughs> football <laughs> – for football, I'm going to guess the Giants. Yes. Oh, really? Christ. Wow, what a guess, man. I hate the Cowboys. Oh, man. <laughs> like, that is the Patriots kryptonite, Kaylee. <laughs> of course it's the Giants. I am from Connecticut, in case you I know. know. Yep. I have to ask, though. Wait, do you hate the Eagles more than you hate the Cowboys? I think I hate the Cowboys more, but oh, I, love, I love Dak Prescott. I will give you that. I love Dak. Okay. I'll take that. I'll admit that. It's the only good thing I'm saying about them. I respect. I only respect the Giants because they beat the Patriots twice. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Everyone loves the Giants for that. Everyone was a Giants no, fan that I, day. I just wouldn't say everybody because I sure as hell didn't. Now... <laughs> I think, I think I think the next the next one. So we're going along these mutually assured destruction lines. I think that you're a Yankees fan. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I mean.
It says on her social media platform that she's from Connecticut. So that leads you to believe that if she's not an avid Boston sports fan, that she also hates those other two sectors of Boston sports. Now, for basketball, I don't know. So I'll ask you, like, what what team do you root for for basketball? So I do not like the NBA. I don't watch basketball. I really Perfect. don't. So I kind of just pick and choose who I want to win. But yes, I'm not just saying this. I always root for the Celtics because TD Garden love TD garden. And I I'm like, okay, if I'm going to like be chaotic, I might as well be like 50, 50, like to Boston to New York. Maybe I can get away with that. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm half and half. So I truly don't really care about the NBA though. But when the Celtics were playing, I wanted them to win. So were you still in Connecticut uh, in, in January or February of 2008? Yes, I was. Okay. So like for those of you listening at home, that's when the giants, ended the undefeated season of, of, of the New England Patriots. So I assume that you probably have friends that are Patriot fans, right? Like, what was that like? How happy were, I mean, just throwing it in their face? Because I, I said this way back, we had a, we used to have a college show that the Patriot fans had become Yankee fans, which I don't mean as an insult to you, but we just expected to when everyone else sucked. So what was it like to be able to just look at one of your friend's face and be like, hey, how'd that feel? It's really interesting because I get to be on both sides of it. Like, especially on Twitter, like all my like Bruins friends are tweeting about the Sox and like the Pats and the Celtics. And I'm like, I don't really tweet about my New York teams because my following is like 98% Boston and they would crucify me. But it was so funny to like be able to brag about it. And they're like, well, you're a Bruins fan. So it doesn't make sense. And you're weird and this and that. And trust me, I always get roasted for it. But it, I'm not going to lie, those two Super Bowls were one of the greatest moments. And the second Super Bowl was, was that 2012? Well, it was the 2011 season, so it was six months after the Bruins won. So that was yes. a great year. I yep. saw the Bruins win the Cup, and then I saw the Giants win the Super Bowl. Oh, my God, I was so spoiled. Against but, the Patriots. Yep, that's the, yeah. that's the key part of that. Ripped my heart out. It's very wow. weird. And I sometimes I'm like, why couldn't I just be all New York or all Boston? But I kind of love it because it's, it keeps things interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, as a Patriot fan, again, I think it's I love having the, the one up card on everybody. I hate talking to a Giants fan, man, because I just have nothing to say. But yeah, Brady's uh, won six Super Bowls. He's like, well, he should have had eight. How's 18 and one feel? Well, Kaylee, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us. I, I do want to give you the chance to tell people where they can find you and how they can follow you. Yeah, sure. So I write for Fansided. I write for Causeway Crowd about the Bruins. So the website for that is just causewaycrowd.com. And then you can follow all my crazy tweets and memes on my Twitter. And it's the number 2-K-A-R-A-S-K. So to Garask. Awesome. Well, for the Real BK, Bob Kelly, for our special guest, Kaylee Allard, I am Michael Marcangelo saying thank you so much for uh, listening to Missing the Point, And we'll talk to you later. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. 
Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.